Many, uh, many years ago, I went to a school when I was, I think I was in second or third grade. Uh, we, we lived in Ohio. We went to a school and this particular Christian school that we went to had a lot of rules, a whole lot of rules. And uh, as we went to school there, we kind of found out, you know, as you, as you agreed to go to school there, you agreed things like uh, you would never go to the movies, that you wouldn't listen to certain music, you wouldn't wear certain clothes, all these things. And, and mind you, you know, the, the movies and the, that's not just why you're going, if you're associated with a school, you're not doing these things. And they, they added a lot, a lot of rules and a lot of things. And, and uh, at the time, I didn't think anything of it. But years later, I remember talking about the school and some of the things and that would come up and you'd go, really? And they said you couldn't ever go to the movies and you couldn't do, you know, and you'd think back on it. And, and so it was just lots and lots of things that were kind of placed on top of what scripture says. And they, they added some things and and some different, and so I, I was thinking about this this week because we're going to spend time in First Corinthians today, and, and and maybe you have a similar story in your life, or you've grown up in different times, or different churches, or different places where they like to add a lot of things, kind of on top of of what God's word says, and they started to have some more rules and some some more things that they that uh, were implied that if you're a good Christian, you would do, like like the implication at, at this school was that a good Christian wouldn't ever go to the movies. And something like that, and maybe maybe you've heard that, or you've experienced that, or you've you've seen that at different times. And it's it's not uncommon within the church. You know, we we see things differently. We apply scripture in different ways, and depending on where we are and our experiences, and and where we are in our lives, you know, we may look at those things differently and go, we need some rules. We need some real stringent rules on about what we could watch or listen to, or those kind of things. And, and, and I really don't want to, I'm not going down this road to kind of spark a debate on what should be rules or where we should draw those, draw those lines. But I really want us to think about how do we react when that's the case, when different people see things differently and they want to add maybe more rules or, or, or less rules or be a little more freedom or less freedom. And, and how do we get along and how do we do that as a church? Inevitably, if you went around the room and you asked everybody here, we would probably draw those lines in different places depending on your experience and, and where you are and, and all sorts of different reasons. And so how do we begin to, to live together in those? And I want you to think about if there's been times in your life where that was the case and somebody said, you've got to do this or you can't do this or that, how it made you feel. I'll be real honest with you. I had a, had a good friend in seminary that I used to be in a prayer group with. And, and he kind of made this pronouncement one day in our prayer group. There were about six guys of us about certain music you couldn't listen to if you were a Christian. And no, no good Christian would ever listen to this, 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 or this. And he was listing some of my favorite bands. And I was going, oh, okay, yeah. And so I remember listening to him and thinking about that. And, and I, you know, we kind of had some debate and talked about it and different things. And it was very cordial. And then I got in my car and I turned on my music and I turned it up loud and I drove away. And I was like, yeah, well... We all do that at different times. There's something in us that once somebody goes, oh, you can't do this or that, and it kind of wells up, or it does for me. If I'm just being, there's times when I go, oh, I can't believe they said you can't do, you know, and so there's different ways that we react and we begin to see. And so I want us to think about how should we react and what should that look like in those different relationships. And I'll be honest with you, there's different times where your walk is and where you are as a believer and where you're dealing with things that maybe you need some more rules, Maybe even some things that aren't strictly prohibited or says in Scripture, but maybe you need a little more. Uh, I think of my son, Jed. We have a pretty strict rule with Jed. He's not allowed to walk in the parking lot without holding mine or Joanna's hand. 
It's because Jed is a hundred miles an hour at all times and in all ways, and he's not real aware of his surroundings. And so the rule is he holds hands in the parking lot so he doesn't get run over. And there's nothing wrong with him walking or doing that, but it's, it's a good thing to maybe put that in place. And so depending on where we are, maybe we need some different rules or some different things. And so this morning, I just say all that to kind of set the table on how we interact with one another. That's really where I'm going with this. Again, not to debate on what should be the rules or what you can do or what you can't do and that kind of thing, but how do we get along and how do we do that well together? And the reason I bring this up is is Larry just read for us in chapter 8 this morning. This is really what was happening in the church in Corinth. There were some some people that were saying that had come from a certain background that you can't eat certain meat and you can't go to certain places because of uh, uh, pagan temple worship and a whole lot of things. And and as as Larry read that chapter in chapter 8, maybe you heard that and you went, I don't even know what he's talking about, right? It's not really our experience what Paul is talking about in chapter 8. We don't have pagan temple worship and, and the way they went about it and the things that are going on there, but but what Paul talks about and the, the things he starts to put forth as uh, principles of Christian living together and how we should relate to those within our church body, those inside of faith and those that are not Christians, he gives us really good practical things on the way we should relate to one another. And so before we jump into that and before we look at kind of how to relate, let me just set the scene a little bit because some of the things he says don't make a whole lot of sense if we don't know what's going on and the church in Corinth. And so what you had was a lot of people that had become Christians had come into the church, but before they were involved in this pagan ritual and they were involved in temple worship in, in these, the, the city of Corinth. And what it was is they'd go to the temple and they would make their sacrifices and they'd bring their sacrifices to their idols and to their gods and they would take them and they would cook the food and a lot of people would eat there. It would then become this big meal and this big, it's kind of like a, a city center almost a restaurant in some ways. And so you could, as part of your worship, you would eat and you would be there. If you wanted to li- give a little more money to your, to your God, to your idol, you could then take one of the temple prostitutes. You could drink in excess. And so it was this really dark kind of place, a very distorted view of worship and what God had set forth as worship in other ways. And some people had, had been involved in that and then they'd become a Christian and they'd left that. And then they'd be walking by the temple and they'd see somebody they knew eating in the temple. Or they would go into the market and there'd be meat for sale that was left over that was offered to the idols. And they go, that would just undo them because of their history with what went on there and what they saw. And so you had this rift within the church. And you see that in what Larry just read to us at the beginning of chapter 8. It's it's showing us different things and people are saying it doesn't really matter. It's just meat. Right? We know that there's only one God. Those idols aren't real. It doesn't really matter. But some people were deeply offended by it. And so Paul's kind of trying to walk this balance of how do we get along and how do we love each other and build each other up where some people are saying you can never eat that meat and some people are saying it doesn't matter. And so what he begins to do is he begins to show us how we should uh, engage one another in that. You know, some people wanted really stringent rules. You can never eat here. You can never eat this meat. You can never do this. And some people are going, it doesn't matter. And so it's just like today in different things and in different ways and, and things that we put rule. Well, how do we get together and how do we do it? And if you see the, the title of the sermon, the answer I'm going to give you and the answer that I think Paul says is you die to yourself. You die to your own personal preferences for the sake of others. 
And so that's really what we're going to look at today and think about. How do we do that with one another in the church? How do we do that with those outside of the faith that may not understand some of the convictions we have and why we hold them? How do we go to them and begin to engage them? And then lastly, we're just going to ask, why do we do that? And so as we begin to think about that, it might be easy to hear this and meet off for the idols and some of these things and rules and you go, this is kind of trivial, isn't it? Why even spend time on these types of things or why even argue about what rules or whatever? Why even go there? And I just simply say this, you know, what you were seeing in the church in Corinth and what I think you see today is you see Christians fighting over things that really aren't that important. And it hurts the witness of the church when we do that. And not only does it hurt the witness of the church when we go to really far extremes about you can't do this and you can't do that and we go beyond what scripture says, we're misrepresenting Christ. And so there's a lot of serious issues here that we need to at least think about and deal with as we're looking at these things. And so that's the way we're going to do it. First, what is this idea of of dying to self? That's something we say often in the church. Sometimes we, we sing that in hymns, the cross bids me to come and die and You know, that's something we say a lot, but I really want us to think about what that means and why we would do that. So what does it look like within the church? What does it look like to those outside of the church? And then why do we do it? And so let's just consider what it looks like with other believers. And let me just give you a reminder as we're starting before we even look at what Paul says. You know, in our prayer breakfast on Tuesday morning, our men's prayer breakfast, we've been working through John. We just happened to be in John 13 this past week before we get to this. And what Jesus says in John 13 is so foundational to everything Paul says. And so just let me remind you, in John 13, it's the night before Jesus dies, and he says to the disciples, he says, I give you this new commandment that you're going to love one another as I've loved you. And he says, people are going to know you. You're going to know that you're my disciples. They're going to know that you're representing me, that you're with me by the way you love each other. And so I just say that because that's so foundational to everything that then Paul is going to say in this passage. So just keep that in mind as we look at what he says. And so the beginning of chapter 80, he's laying out this problem that some people are upset over eating the meat offered to idols and some people are not. And how should we deal with it? And so look at what he says, starting in verse eight, verse eight of chapter eight. He says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do eat or we do not eat, or no better off if we do, right? So he says, it doesn't really matter if you eat that meat or not. It's just meat. But then look at what he says next. He says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you having knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed and the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. And then hear what he says in verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And so what Paul says, and this is where we get to this idea of dying to yourself, he says there's nothing wrong with eating meat. But I have brothers and sisters that are new in the faith and they've come into it and they have deep roots with this pagan worship and all these things and it really bothers them. And it's a stumbling block to them and it frustrates them and it makes them struggle in their faith. And he says, so since that's the case, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to die to my own preference. I'm going to die to even what I know is okay for me to do and I'm not going to do it for their sake. 
And so he starts to lay aside, lay out this principle of, of, of dying to ourselves for the sake of others, to build them up. And so even though he would be right in saying, we don't have to have that rule, he says, I'm not going to do that. And so he starts to lay that. But then look at what he says in verses 11 and 12. Right? He says, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. And listen to the way he says it. The brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. And it's almost the way Paul's saying this, right? That Jesus was, was willing to lay down everything. He was willing to lay down his life to purchase uh, our salvation. And that includes your brother over here. And he said, and you're not willing to give up meat offered to idols? He says, you're misrepresenting who we are as Christians and following Christ and what that looks like. And so he makes a pretty huge statement there. You're sinning against Christ when you do that, when you knowingly just insist on your own way just because, well, I'm right, so I'm going to do it anyway. Right? Think of Jesus's words as you think about that. They'll know, they'll know that you're my disciples by the way you love each other. This new commandment I give you to love one another as I've loved you. And he says, so you give up some of your rights to do that. You know, the same thing could be said today. We, we deal with this in all different ways. We all come, even in our very church, we have a whole range of ages and backgrounds and all sorts of different things. And you may grow up where, where you had to tuck in your shirt for church, or maybe you grow in where that's not a big deal, or maybe whatever it is. And oftentimes we can get caught up into the way I do it. Right? There's no passage in the Bible that I'm aware of that you've got to tuck in your shirt to come into the church. That's just not there. And so when we start to push for things like that, we're getting beyond whatever. Now, this, is, this cuts both ways. Because if you come in with your shirt untucked and you know it upsets some people and you do it anyway, then you're doing it on the other side. And so what Paul says really gets at all of us. We're all supposed to give up my rights and we're all supposed to seek the better of others. And we all seek to die to ourselves to do that. And we start to do that to be more loving and gracious and point to people for, to the way God loves us and the way he is. And I think of, it's one of the saddest stories I know of, of just the opposite of that. A lot of you know Larry McKenna that runs the Jericho House. If you know Larry's story at all, he'll tell you he was a hippie. And he was a musician and he had long hair and he was a drug addict and all these things and he got saved. And Jesus got a hold of his heart and he began to want to know the things of God and he went to a church. Picked the first church he found and he went in with his long hair and his bell bottoms and all this stuff and they told him he had to leave because of his long hair. And he was floored and he didn't ask Larry about that and he still is floored that they asked him, you've got to cut your hair, you can't come here, Right? And so they, they may have had a conviction in that church that short hair is more godly and men should have short, or whatever their thing was, but that should have never been the place to go and to do that and to lay that out there and to say that in that way. And so sometimes we can begin to do that because we get so absorbed about the way we think the rules should be or what they should be, and we go so far outside the bounds of what Scripture says. And so the picture that Paul begins to lay down is, is dying to yourself. Right? I mean, look at what he says there in verse 13 when he says, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. Right? If that's the case and it's going to be a stumbling block for him, I, that's fine. I just won't do it. I would say the same thing. If, if you come into church and, and you like to wear flip-flops and you're offending everybody in the church because they're like, why is he wearing flip-flops? By the way, it doesn't matter if you wear flip-flops. I don't care if you wear flip-flops. That's great. 
If you're more comfortable, wear flip-flops, come in shorts, doesn't matter, you're welcome. But that, to some people, goes, oh, you know, I can't believe he's doing that. And so if you know that's the case and you know you're offending other people, then don't wear them. And vice versa, if that's really bothering you, pray that God would kind of remove that and take that, that that's not your focus. And so we do that in all different ways today. But what Paul's saying is, if I know I'm offending someone, I'll gladly just give up my rights. Even though I am perfectly within my rights to do that, I'm just not going to do it. And so when, I, when we start to think about that picture and, and what Paul's saying and the, the things he gives us, and, and, and as you read on in Corinthians, you know, in chapter 9, he begins to go into all the rights that he's given up as an apostle. He says, I have, I have the right, I have every right to be paid for what I do, but I don't. I don't get paid. I don't know if you knew this about Paul, but he was a tent maker. Everywhere he went, he worked and he paid his own way and he didn't get paid. And part of it was because he'd go into these cities and he'd go in and he'd like in Corinth and there's all these philosophers and they'd be teaching and they, they would come in and they'd present their philosophy and then they'd seek followers and then they'd want to be paid for it. It was a way to make their living. And Paul says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to present Jesus and what he's done and I'm going to do it and I'm not going to ask you for anything. And the reason is I don't want you to be, mistake me with these other guys. I want you to understand that I will give gladly everything I have to proclaim this message. And so he had the right to be paid as a pastor and what he was doing. And he says, but I'm not going to do that. Or he says, I have the right to take a wife, but I'm not going to take a wife. He says, I'm not going to be married and I'm going to keep doing and I'm going to keep going. And he said, I'm going to give all my time to this. And so what he's saying over and over is I'm going to lay down everything I can for the sake of others. And I'm going to make that my mission in the way I go at it. And so you see that. You see that verse, uh, chapter t- uh, 9 and verse 12. He says it this way. So he, he goes through at the beginning of 9 and he tells all these things he's going to lay down. And then he gets to verse 12 and he says, uh, We have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And so I just want to ask, do you think that way when you come to church? Do you think that way when you're out and wherever you are? Do you ever think that way when you come into church and maybe somebody's dressed in a way that to your mind you go, I don't like that. That bothers me. But do you ever think the way Paul goes here? I'll gladly lay down my preference for the sake of the gospel. I will gladly not say anything or do anything here because I want them to be welcomed and to, to know the love of Christ. And that's what Paul's saying over and over. And that's what it looks like to begin to die to yourself to to one another. Letting the important things be important and these other little things on the outside just kind of take their proper place and so don't make an issue. And so within the body, when we talk about dying to ourselves, we're putting others first. We're seeking to put others first and die to our own preference so that we can build one another up. We can strengthen each other in the Lord and we can point to what he's doing and who he is and how gracious and wonderful he is instead of bringing up little things that really don't matter. And so that's the first part. But I want to think here for just a second about the what about those outside the church? Surely it's different when we meet somebody who's who's hostile to the faith and they say certain things and we go, we don't die to our preferences if it's that, do we? How do we how do we get engage that and how do how do we begin to speak to people in different situations? And so I just want you to look at verses uh, 19 to 23 in chapter nine. And let me just remind you. Paul, outside of Jesus, is probably the the greatest evangelist that ever lived. Started tons and tons of churches, saw God moving and bringing people to faith. And listen to what he says on how he goes about spreading the gospel. 
For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And so what you get in the picture that you begin to see is that Paul goes out and wherever he's going and whoever he's involved with, he kind of takes on the the outer things of, of going to where they are, meeting them where they are. Now, let me be real clear on this and make sure that we, we see this completely. That doesn't mean that you go out and you have a license to do things that are against what Scripture clearly says. That's not the case. And that's not what Paul's uh, saying to us. That's not what he did. But what he is saying is when I go out and I'm meeting and I'm talking to different people, the external things that aren't the most important, I'll gladly embrace those and go where they are. Right? To the Jewish People, the ultra-religious that did sacrifices and all this thing, he's going, I'm going to the temple. I'm going to dress like they dress and I'm going to meet them where they are and I'm going to speak their language and I'm going to talk to them and I'm going to begin to share the gospel in that way. And he said, and to the Gentiles that don't have any view of that and all those things, he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to address where they are and what they think and what they're doing and go to their places. You see that in Acts. He goes to Mars Hill in Athens and he addresses the people right where they are and he meets them where they are and he begins to even address their philosophers and quote different things and point them to it. And so everywhere you see Paul go, he goes to where they are. And he says, maybe my preference isn't to dress the way or or to go to these places or even to quote some of the people that they think of highly, but I'm going to for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to die to myself and maybe the things I like to be able to go to them. And he says, so to the Jews, I'll become a Jew. And to those outside of the law, I'll go outside. I'll go to where they are. And so you begin to see this picture of the way Paul does it. You know, whenever I read this passage and he says to the Jews, I become as a Jew to, to, in order to win the Jews and, and those outside the law and inside of the law, I can't help but think of a friend I had in seminary. His name was Ryan. And Ryan came to seminary in uh, Columbia, South Carolina to learn how to witness to Muslims. He spent three years in Muslim studies at uh, Columbia Biblical Seminary to learn how to witness to Muslims. And towards the end of his time, Ryan and I got to be friends and he started to grow this big giant beard. Imagine mine in a few more months, you know, his huge beard. And, And he started to take on some of these things because he knew where he was going. And as he left seminary, he left and he moved to Afghanistan for two years. And he dressed as a, as a Muslim would dress. And he had a huge beard and he went and he engaged people where they were. And I can't help but think of when Paul says to the Jews, I become a Jew. And Ryan going, man, as, as the Muslims, they need to hear God's word. And to the Muslims, I'm going to dress like they do. I'm going to give up my rights to live here in relative comfort in the States and go into a war area so that I can present the gospel to them. And so you begin to get this picture of I'm going to die to myself and my own personal preferences to reach out with different people and where they are. Now, that may be a extreme example for us, you know, well, growing a huge beard to go to the Muslims and different things. But but we do it. We have opportunities all the time in our daily life. 
we come into contact with people and we may hear someone say something that's completely against what we believe and we have a choice. Am I going to jump in here and just let them have it? Right? I'm going to tell them how wrong they are. You ever get that, that uh, oh man, I can't believe he said that. I'm about to tell them. Right? And we can jump in there and they have no frame of reference. They don't know you. They don't know where you're coming from. And you just go in there guns blazing and, and start just letting them have it. I've known people like that, and, and oftentimes it's well-intentioned, but what it does is people just go, man, that guy's crazy. And so I'm not advocating not speaking up and saying what's true, but I'm saying lovingly entering those relationships, lovingly taking time of seeing where people are and meeting them where they are, speaking the truth, absolutely, absolutely pointing them to who Jesus is. Always coming back to that. But, but before and, and in that, really listening to them. Really trying to see their point of view and where they're coming from and, and begin to engage what they believe. They, they may have had some background that you can't imagine. And so to, to really listen and begin to start to see where they're coming from. You know, last week I was in Houston with my brother Jeremiah. Jeremiah's a pastor on staff at a church in Houston. And he's got five guys who live in a house together. Their discipleship house, much like what we're starting here, that helped spawn the idea. And Jeremiah's discipleship house is five guys that are young professionals and they live together in the middle of downtown Houston. And these guys do Bible studies together and they hold each other accountable and they love one another and then they go out and they engage their neighborhood. They go to block parties. They go to the bar around the corner all the time. They know everybody in there. And they go in there and they spend time. And so Jeremiah and I, he said, I want to take you by the discipleship house. And we go and we spend time. We talk to the guys and he says, hey, let's go around the corner and go to the bar you guys go to all the time. And we walk in and they know everybody in there. Pretty much every single person they pass, they know and they know what's going on. We go and sit down and and there's some people they just met at a block party. And they say, hey, come sit down. And this girl comes down. Within five minutes, she's spilling her guts about everything. Her past and her sexuality and her frustrations and the way her family has shunned her and what she thinks about God and how uh, the church has it wrong and this and that and all these things. And in the theology part of my mind is wanting to go, wait, 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 you just said this is wrong and this is wrong and, and, and jump in there and just... And but as we sat there, all these guys just asked her questions and they listened and they started to engage her. And there was some pushback. There were some times when they said, well, wait a second. Well, what about this? And, and it ended up into an hour-long conversation. As we got up to leave, one of the guys says, hey, Thursday night we're having a Bible study, and we're talking about these very things. Would you come? And she said, absolutely. I would love to. I love talking about this stuff. And so by them meeting her where she is, going to the place where she is, loving her where she is, it, it opened up doors to share the gospel in wonderful ways. And so seeking to die to ourselves, that wouldn't be my preference to go hang out at that place, personally. That's not normally where I go, but to go there for the sake of the gospel, to meet people in that and be able to engage them in that way, absolutely. And so I see Paul saying similar, to those outside of the law, I'll go outside the law. I'm going to go find where these people are and I'm going to share who Jesus is and I'm going to meet them where they are and I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to seek to apply the gospel to every part of their lives. And so what I saw these guys doing, Jeremiah's friends and these guys that he's been discipling and working with, they didn't compromise at all. In no way were they saying or doing anything that would hurt their Christian witness, but at the same time they were loving these people and they were right there in the midst. It's a beautiful picture. 
And so when we think about what it looks like to die to ourselves and to go to where people are, and it's, it's patiently listening and be willing to be there and to be present and to listen to people and to see where they are. And yes, speak the truth. And yes, look for ways to share the gospel. And yes, do those things. But it's partly just being there and being able to listen and doing that well. You know, there's research today that says the average person, because our, our knowledge of Scripture is so poor, that it takes the average person seven times of hearing the gospel explained to even be able to really understand it. They don't have the background They don't have the biblical. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't save anyone at any time and they're open their eyes. Absolutely, he can. But what it does say to us is that we should be patient. We should be loving. We should be walking with people and answering their questions and spending time with them and meeting them where they are. Because there's a lot there that they've got to get through to see the clearly who God is and what he's done in Jesus. And so I just say that as, as this isn't just partly in the church, although Paul's talking about in the church, he's also talking about what he's doing outside the church and where he's going and how he's doing it. And so when we think about that picture of going to where people are and getting to know them and meeting them on their... Just just let me remind you, when you read through the Gospels, Jesus is often called a friend of sinners and drunkards. And you know why? Because that's where he spent all his time. That's who he was with all the time. That's who he was talking to. That's who he was loving. That's who, where he was going. You read it all through the Gospels. There's tons and tons of example. But you have Mary Magdalene. You have the woman at the well. You have Zacchaeus who was hated by everyone. You've got the call of Matthew. Hey, Matthew, come follow me. And the next thing we see, Jesus is having a party with all Matthew's friends. And so you see it over and over. He goes right to where people are. And he meets them where they are. And he loves them where they are. And so this picture of of loving others as I have loved you. And that's what we're getting at. And that brings us to why we do this. Be real honest with you. It's not easy. It's probably even harder within the church than it is going outside of the church. It's real hard to lay aside our preferences. And so the question goes, well, why would we do that? And so I want to look at it two ways, just real briefly. One, what are we trying to accomplish when we do that? And one within the church, and I mentioned this, is just that we want to build one another up. Right? He says at the end of verse 23 of chapter 9, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And so I'm going to lay aside things that maybe I don't think or maybe I think you're wrong on. But I'm going to let it go for the sake of the gospel. And I want to do that more. I want to be so marked by love and the way we uh, enter into relationships with people, especially within the church. It's one of the greatest witnesses of the church when we really begin to do that. Can you imagine if every one of us in here, every time we got together, was always looking to lay aside our own preferences for the sake of others, what that would look like to the world? I know what it would look like. It would look like exactly what Jesus said. People will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. People go, what's wrong with those people? They constantly are laying down their own preferences for others. What's the deal with that? And so it would begin to shine forth in so many ways. And so one is we want to do that for the witness of the church, but also just for encouragement of one another, to build each other up, to become more mature in our beliefs and in everything we're doing. But then also to what about uh, what are you trying to accomplish outside of the church? And it's obvious he says it over and over. I do it all for the sake of the gospel in 923 or the end of chapter 10. He says, whatever I eat, 
whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. So all people don't seek to put, be offensive to them for the sake of being offensive. Try to be loving everywhere you go. And then he says in verse 33, just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And so what we're seeking to accomplish is to point that people would see Jesus, that they would see so clearly how wonderful he is, that they would see so clearly the way he's changing us and doing things in our lives and they would want to know him. And so that's what we're seeking to accomplish. And so then the very last thing I want us to think about is what is the motivation for doing so? And it can't be that I say to you, well, we need to go and do that so we can get more people in the church or we can get, and you go, oh, that's my duty. I got to go do that. The pastor said, I need to be nice to people, so I guess I better be nice to people. If that's the motivation, that'll last until about noon. That'll be it. Maybe through lunch. Maybe you'll give someone the last chicken leg today, but then that'll be the end of it. After, Then you'll get home and it'll be back to normal. The motivation has to be because you've seen them and you know them. And when I say that, I'm talking about Jesus that you know who he is and you know the way he's loved you, the way he has loved you. You know the, the grace that he's extended to you. You know how patient he's been with you. That you know your own sin and what he's forgiven you of. And when you see that, then it becomes a little easier to begin to forgive other people. It becomes a little easier to begin to die to yourself and, and give people grace even when you feel like you're right. Here was Jesus that was right in every way, completely and totally. And what he does is he comes and he says, I'm going to lay all of it down that you might be saved. Paul says it much better than I could in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And so the motivation has to be because of Jesus. But all that we have and all that we are and all the grace that would be given has been due him. And so I don't have any leg to stand on to go, no, I'm right. And you bow to what I want. The only thing I've got is what Jesus has done for me. And it's all about him. And so for his sake and for his glory, it's what Paul says at the beginning. He was willing to give up his life and you won't give up eating meat. You can almost hear Paul going, are are we serious here? Is that really what we're going to do? And so the motivation has to be Christ and what he's done for us. And as we seek to see him more fully and we seek to see his face and to follow him, this becomes more and more obvious. How can we not? The ultimate motivation of humbling ourselves has to be the ultimate one who humbled themselves for us. And so that's my prayer as we, as we go forward as a church and as we love one another, that we would be so taken with who Jesus is that we would seek to gladly give up our rights to one another, that we would gladly seek to go to where people don't know Jesus and meet them where they are all for his sake and for his glory. Let's pray.
Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for your ultimate humility that you emptied yourself and you came to us and you laid your life down. And we thank you for that. We pray that we would be ever more like you each day, that we would do so knowing that we're saved by only what you do for us. It's nothing we could ever do, but we would want to please you. We would want to seek to point others to your magnificent grace and glory in all things. And so we just ask that you would grant us the grace to be ever more loving and self-forgetful for your sake and for your name. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.